was telling Tracy and Zeke that <laughs> if I were a Baptist, I would say Satan really doesn't want us to do this podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, though, is that there is a possibility. Like, I, I don't want to put that past the devil because right. the devil most certainly... I think I think where the devil works most powerfully is where we don't think he's working at all. This is why I think it's incredibly I would rather I would rather well while some people look at our world and they see like certain things that are just so clearly unbiblical, so clearly immoral, awful, evil that is being glorified and venerated as virtuous, good, noble, great, beautiful and it's just being openly and widely championed, promoted, celebrated. Um, on the one hand, some people decry this stuff and they say, oh, how this is just terrible. But on the other hand, um, it's a whole lot easier to deal with that. You might say the devil unmasked versus, mm-hmm. you know, um, where, you know, the other trappings that Satan might hide behind that are a little bit more subversive. Mm-hmm. A lot harder to, 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 to detect, like for like yesterday we were talking about, you know, the Pharisees and hiding behind, you know, kind of the hypocrisy behind their their religiosity. Mm. That all looks good. It looks very religious. Yeah, they're carrying out all these traditions, which seem to be in conjunction and tandem with the Word of God and worship. And and why wouldn't this be? Why wouldn't this be a bad thing? And you do see this today, where. Um, where now I look to my participation in a system, ex opera operato, or ex opera operantis, as my confidence before a holy, righteous God. Oh, yeah. mm. Want to kick off the episode? Sure. Oh, Again? <laughs> For the fourth time, take the f- five. The fourth time <laughs> into the fray. <laughs> <laughs> We are recording. I just want to we double are, check that we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another sip of coffee. All right. <sighs> <laughs> I'm going to leave all this in at the beginning of this episode, too. <laughs> oh, man. I just... I'm so done with this article. <laughs> That's why I was like, let's make it a short one. All right, let's do but, it. All right. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the Mana Podcast. With me is Pastor Sam Jeske, and I am Jacob Lewis. How are you doing, Pastor? <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'm sorry. So this is long story short. Um, I'll spare Jacob the explanation. Um, we uh, we apologize for being away for the past three weeks. A um, couple things had uh, kind of come up, which which uh, forced us to kind of delay releasing this episode. Um, three weeks ago, I had I had forgotten to plug in the mics for the podcasting. Um, that we were going to be doing that day, and so we recorded this entire episode on Article 13 and Article 14, the Augsburg Confession. But um, it recorded on my computer microphone and not these wonderful condenser microphones. So I had to make a choice between spending several hours editing the audio so that it was bearable, um, or just scrapping it and starting all over. So we did that. Um, But after that, though, Jacob was... um, officially extended the position of office administrator at our shepherd lutheran church so he and i are not only podcast buds but we're actually co-workers now (laughs) (laughs) and um well i don't know i i think how's that been in terms of like this new position figuring Um, out balance you got two jobs now yeah two jobs yeah i mean it's getting better now those first two weeks though it was definitely a lot of like uh I'm not sure if it was like relearning time management as it was just trying to figure out how this this new addition, you know, how it was going to fit, you know, and how I was going to, you know, juggle other things too. So it just, I don't know, it just kind of made 
it made scheduling podcasting and it made prepping for the podcast a, a little more challenging. Yeah. So we, um, and that's, yeah, we, uh, we're thankful that you're, that you're, <laughs> we're thankful we still got you for the podcast too. <laughs> um, and, uh, we're also thankful to have you as the office administrator at our church. Um, this is going to be great for obviously, um, Christ centered gospel driven proclamation and ministry. Mm. So, um, we, we tried to, we tried to record an episode on like, was it two weeks ago? And, and Jacob and I were just like mentally Mm. cashed out. We were, we were just, we just did not have it going on. It was just, we were just exhausted. And then the following week after that, Jacob was still trying to just figure out that balance. And so we sat down this morning to record this episode and, and then, uh, buddy of mine showed up at the parsonage and i just said to jacob we'll scrap the episode and we'll start over again <laughs> and so we are um um whether you believe it or not this is going to be the fifth time that we've tried to record <laughs> this episode <laughs> it literally feels like groundhog's day yeah yeah oh <laughs> uh, yep yep yeah but once more into the fray, what do you say? Once huh? more into the fray. <laughs> I'll read, uh, seeing as you introduced the episode, I'll, I'll read um, Articles 13 for us. Um, use of the sacraments. Oh, this episode, we're going to try and get through two articles. So if you're following along with us, we're looking at Articles 13 and Articles 14 of the Augsburg, the historic Augsburg Confession. Um, starting with Article 13 here, the use of the sacraments. Our churches teach that the sacraments were ordained not only to be marks of profession among men, but even more, to be signs and testimonies of God's will toward us. They were instituted to awaken and confirm faith in those who use them. Therefore, we must use the sacraments in such a way that faith, which believes the promises offered and set forth through the sacraments, is increased. Therefore, they condemn that those who teach that the sacraments justify simply by the act of doing them. Um, They condemn those who do not teach that faith, which believes that sins are forgiven, is required in the use of the sacraments. And, yeah, that's the end of the article. So, Jacob, you got any comments or insights right out of the gate there? Yeah, so looking at, like, the first half of the first paragraph, um... One thought that I had was that, I mean, for starters, the sacraments are useful for something. That they're that th- though they are marks of confession, they are also significantly way more than that. You know, these are not a. This is not merely like a symbolic gesture, or a symbolic participation in, kind of like how. So, for example, um, I know some Christians who might participate in like a Seder meal mm. or something. And as a way of kind of, um, I don't want to say reenacting, but kind of, um, yeah, maybe in some respects reenacting, kind of participating in in something that, that took place, um, something that continues to take place today. But um, mm. as Christians, we, we are... We, we're not bound by the uh, ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. These were shadows of things to come. The reality is found in Christ. Right. So, but we, yeah, we would not say that these are a symbolic participation or just a symbolic gesture where right. we, with in a visible way, are making a confession of faith or a proclamation of faith. That If that's all we said, we would not be speaking enough. We wouldn't be saying enough. Right. Uh, certainly with the Lord's Supper, we do see this. Like if you look at the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, it does say, whenever you, plural, eat this bread or drink this cup, a drink of this cup, and it's talking about reception of Jesus' true body and blood in the Lord's Supper. Whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you jointly, you plural, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there mm-hmm. is a joint proclamation of faith that is going on in a horizontal sense. The Greek koinonia, horizontal fellowship Mm. but if that's all we said we're missing a major vertical dimension that being between us and god there's something very real that's taking place Mm. here this is not merely a symbolic gesture or action um 
this is God is God is at work here. God is at work here. And um, um, this is why the Apostle Paul later on, you know, he'll talk about how um, where he's speaking with the first uh, these the Corinthians in his first letter to them, this Corinthian congregation, and he's addressing in First Corinthians chapter ten a lot of abuses of the Lord's Supper that that he had heard were taking place. You got people who are getting drunk in the communion wine. You got people who are, they're they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. They're, you know, you got people who are, you know, they're 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 working the nine to five and they got caught up in traffic and they weren't able to make it to this fellowship meal on time. Mm. And everybody else has just started celebrating without them. They've taken you know. Um, there was just a there was a flagrant misuse and abuse of the Lord's Supper, right. and so not only does the Apostle Paul he he recapitulates the words of institution, he he restates that I am an apostle, um, that I'm not presenting doctrinal innovation, that this is in fact given to me by Christ Jesus Himself. Hmm. I'm getting it straight from the top, and he lays out what the Lord's Supper is, but then also why we do not want to abuse it, and there are some very serious spiritual warnings and cautions that are presented with the, with the administration and reception of the Lord's Supper. Mm. And if this is just a symbolic gesture, a symbolic participation, that doesn't seem to compute with such strong warning and caution when it comes to administration and reception of the Lord's Supper, mm. where really, I mean, if this is just a mere act or a symbolic gesture... What does the Apostle Paul mean then when he says that if that failure to recognize the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus, um, you run the risk of you actually run the risk of receiving this in an unworthy manner. Failure to um, failure to reflect on your sins and to search your heart and to and to um, maybe go through the Ten Commandments that self reflection and examination. Uh, failure to do that runs the risk of receiving this in a worthy manner. And what does it look like that? I mean, there's obviously, again, there's the acknowledgement that I'm a sinner, that I need a Savior. I need the forgiveness of sins, new life, and salvation. Right. I need Jesus. Yeah. I, uh, I, I know growing up, um, whenever we would whenever we would receive communion at the non-denom church that I grew up at, um, usually what was said before partaking of the supper was that you didn't have to be a member as long as you confessed Christ, you, you you could partake. But if you have any unconfessed sin in your life, don't take of the sacrament, you know. Or they would use the word ordinance, <laughs> you know. So, but, right. but anyway, yeah. So it would be if you had any unconfessed sin in your life, you know, let, let the elements pass by. And oh, to me, like... If it is, you know, for the forgiveness of sins, like, why would I not partake of it? Because to me, really, like, if we really examine our hearts hard enough, we're going to find some unconfessed sin in there no matter what, you know? And so to me, it's like, well, in, in that case, if I should allow the elements to pass by, you know, if I have any unconfessed sin in my life, then nobody is worthy. You know, and that, that's a good point. We looked you know, at that no in one. an earlier episode of the podcast where, where we talked about when we're looking at confession and absolution or repentance, and you know, it it's when it comes to the absolution that I received is, is mm -hmm. that contingent on have I effectively enumerated all my sins? I think when people say stuff like, "Are there any sins that you have not yet confessed?" They they. I get the impression that that's like language to refer to big sins, big mm -hmm. sins that are, you know, not like little stuff like my pride that right. I just, that I don't see, or, you know, the thoughts that I had as I'm scrolling through my newsfeed on Facebook or something, and I see an advertisement that is mildly, mildly sexually suggestive, or, um, say I, I'm driving on the, I'm driving on the interstate and some guy cuts me off and I just, I cuss him out in my car. Mm. Right. I don't think about those things, but those are sins. These right. are sins that I need forgiveness for. So this is, which is, again, it's, it's rather interesting that on the one hand, if this is just a symbolic act or gesture, um, why then it, it does not compute to me either by reason or by plain scripture. Um, why then would I, um, why would I need to be? How how does that how does that reconcile itself with the Apostle Paul's words of right? And and, yeah. and the other thing they would add as well is 
don't take this if you have any unconfessed sin because you will heap condemnation upon yourself and it's like well if it's just a symbol if it's just me if it's no if it's nothing more than me you know wearing my jesus saves t-shirt you know identifying myself with christ right you know then why is there such a high you know just level of you know <laughs> my guess of is it, condemnation for right you know like to me the the punishment doesn't really uh, fit the crime. <laughs> I, I think, in some respects, how some Christian congregations are gonna will talk about, like you said, the, use the word ordinance. Mm-hmm. How some Christian congregations will speak of the sacraments, what we refer to as sacraments, what they will, you know, ordinances. Yeah. That being baptism and the Lord's Supper. Mm. Um, they will stress the, they will stress the need of these things in terms of the need to obey Jesus' commands. Right. right? Yeah. Um, do this as often as you eat it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So they hear that they see the word do and they think I need to do this, mm. you know, or go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, you know, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Okay. I need to do this. They say, <laughs> and, um, just for the sake of Jesus saying, this is what you need to do. Or this is, you know, Jesus says, do this. We better do it. Right. And in terms of any greater depth or dimension to this, that's often lost because it's just all that's stressed is Jesus says so, therefore we need to do it. Well, why why does Jesus institute these things? And I use the word institute because this isn't just some simple mild or, ordinance. This doesn't this does not I think what informs the conversation, I suppose we're we're somewhat digging up old conversations from when we looked at the sacraments in previous episodes, I think that this is objections to this being something greater or grander is extra biblical in nature. Mm. It's more of a, a philosophical, logical commitment that's now imposing itself on the on the plain words of Scripture. Why you know Luther was just so frustrated is as he's dialoguing with Ulrich Zwingli on this, and he's just he points to the Latin, "This is my body." Like Jesus said it. Like these here are his words. Yeah. And if that's not enough for you, go through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and you will see that this, what you, you'll see this exactly, that the Apostle Paul is echoing the words of Christ and then highlighting it and spelling out very, very plainly to a congregation of Christians who were misusing and abusing the Lord's Supper. Right. And, and does he not say something along the lines of, when you do partake of the Lord's Supper, you are participating in the body and blood yeah. of Christ. Like there is a yes, so and that's that same word, koinonia, that participation mm. that is taking place. Um, so it's um, we, uh, but yeah, it's um, one thing, and that's one thing that the confessors are getting at here. Um, these are if we if we always say of the sacraments, always say of baptism and the Lord's Supper, is these are nothing more. Than signs and testimony, signs and testimonies of God's will towards us, um, or that these are um, marks of profession. Um, right? Yeah. Let me excuse me. If all we say is that these are just marks of profession among men, um, if that's all we say, we're missing we're missing far more of the, um, a far greater dimension to this, mm. um, namely in that. There's also the, the signs and testimonies of God's will towards us. Um, you you got the, uh, with, with and, and there's covenant language that's being brought up there. Because mm. covenants were often referred to as, this will be a sign for you. Yeah. Um, covenants had a, you know, there was this sense of signing and sealing things. And when it comes to baptism, there is signing and sealing that takes place there. And when it comes to the Lord's Supper, it's it's similar there too, where there is something that is that is being signified, but there is also something that's being sealed too. Mm-hmm. Um, that being, this is um, not simply the confession of faith, but then this is actually the the reception of faith mm-hmm. as well, <laughs> which is what the what just what the um, the confessors are getting at here too. Therefore, we must use the sacraments in such a way that faith, which believes the promises offered, there's the confession of faith part, and set forth through the sacraments, that faith is increased. Um, the faith that we profess as we receive is a faith that is that is created and received in the Lord's Supper or in in, in, the, or in baptism, baptism in the Lord's Supper. 
Um, so you see that in the they have a section of scripture that they do present um, as when it comes to the increasing of faith. They have Second Thessalonians one verse three. Um, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love, and the love every one of you has for each other, is increasing. Um, yeah, making an uh, an allusion there to, you know, the the church being the church, um, <clears throat> their faith is increasing um, as a result of using uh, the gospel in word and sacrament. Um, how about that second paragraph then? There, then therefore, they then um, condemn those who teach that the, sacrifice, the sacraments justify simply by the act of doing them. Uh, why don't we take a look at that a little bit? Mm. Um, now we're looking at... Um, you might have heard Jacob and I use these Latin expressions before. Um, there are two of them. Here's the first, ex opera operato, and the second one is ex opera operantis. And I get the impression that maybe one, if not both of those, are being alluded to here. Mm. Um, ex opera operato means by the working of the work or by the work performed. Mm. Um, ex opera operantis is by the working of the worker. or um, uh, And that might sound like a distinction without a difference, but there's actually, <laughs> um, there's actually a significant difference between the two. Both are in, in late in, in relation to the discussion on the use, the administration and recep, uh, administration and, or administering and the reception of the sacraments, um, both both Latin expressions would be incorrect to be applied here, mm. uh, ex opera operato and ex opera operantis. Why is that? Well, a lot of people at the time of Luther and the confessors had been brought up. Um, with the or with a with a traditional understanding of by me participating in the system, the religious mm. system, doesn't it doesn't matter where my head or my heart is, um, as long as as long as my hands and my feet are participating in the system, go walking to church, extending my hand to receive the sacrament, uh, to receive the Lord's body and blood, or you know with the with with the Lord's supper, as long as I'm um, doing the works of penance, as long as I'm going on pilgrimages, my feet are walking off to these places, or my hands are extending coins into coffers, or extending my hands to receive indulgences, as long as I'm participating in this system. Mm. Um, ex opera operato, by the working of the work, just by me doing these things, or just the work of these things themselves, this then gener or this then merits me justification or that i the forgiveness of sins new life and salvation or that god's grace is is earned simply by me doing these things or um, the actions in and of themselves merit god's grace or win me justification effectively or um the other expression ex opera operantis is is stressing more so not the action but the doer of the action in this case, it probably would be making an allusion to either the priest who's extending the Lord's Supper to you or the priest who's baptizing or perhaps the, the person on the receiving end of these things. It just by by virtue of them doing or by virtue of, of they the doer, so to speak, not so much focusing on the action itself. The confessors here are saying um, that... These confessional Lutheran churches condemn those who teach that the sacraments justify simply by the act of doing them. Mm. As if uh, me as the participant or me by, by virtue of this action, which is, I see it to be a participation in the system, that then I, I work, earn, or merit justification and God's grace for myself. Mm. And, um, mm. and effectively gut what's going on here. Um, going back to what signs and testimonies of God's will towards us, there's the vertical dimension that's missed. And while they might say, oh, no, the vertical dimension isn't lost whatsoever, you know, the relationship between me and God, um, they just anchor that vertical relationship on me, the doer, or the action that is being done. Mm. 
as opposed to what does God promise? What does God promise he is doing in with and under bread and wine? What is he promising that he's doing through water and the word? And that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, yeah. And that what that does is, is this takes not only our, this, this not only changes motivation in terms of why we go to receive the Lord's Supper um, or why someone would, part- would, would pursue baptism um, or be led by the Holy Spirit say, I, I desire to be baptized. Um, but this also changes our view of baptism in the Lord's Supper itself, too. I don't right. see this as another box to check off. Mm. You know, Jesus <laughs> said it, therefore I do it. Yeah. I see it as God desires to give tremendous, amazing blessings in with and under bread and wine and through water and the word. Why shouldn't I be baptized, to quote the eunuch, right? <laughs> Why shouldn't I desire to receive the Lord's Supper as, as often as I can? Um, I got I, that was a that was a yeah. long stream of consciousness there. You, Jacob, you got some follow up yeah. there. One thing that I I thought of was uh, actually our gospel reading from this week in Mark, and I was thinking about how I mean, essentially, what we have is the disciples they go and they eat without washing their hands. The Pharisees throw a fit, and they're like, "Why aren't like?" Jesus, you know, like, why aren't your disciples, you know, washing their hands in tradition of the elders? You know, like, and, and as you were saying in the sermon yesterday, or, well, I guess I could say that, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. can. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, and it wasn't so much a hygienic thing as it was a tradition thing. Like, you know, and so, and, and Jesus makes the comment to them of where, you know, you're doing all these, you know, great things for God, but your heart is far from him, you know, and, and to me, when we reduce baptism and the Lord's Supper to just these things that we have to check off a list, it's like, okay, yeah, we're doing what God told us to do, but our hearts are nowhere near him, like, you know, These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Right. Interestingly, the, the Greek of the Septuagint for that expression as it renders the Hebrew text of that section from Isaiah, um, it's incredibly emphatic. It's literally mm-hmm. like their hearts are far, far. It's like far away, away. <laughs> yeah, far away, away. <laughs> it's like it's they're they're very far away from me, it, and it's just it's very emphatic. But I mean, it, it goes back to the Rome's uh, thoughts on original sin, though, where essentially, you know. It goes back to concupiscence, you know, where it's where it's only the outward act that is sinful. The the heart, you know, the 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 thought thoughts within, you know, right, don't apply to your to 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 your sinning, if you will, you know. And Jesus doesn't talk like that. Right. And he so and so yeah. within their system, if you define sin as just simply the things you. Do. I mean, logically speaking, you know, okay, well, all I have to do is not do those things, and I, but I do need to check off these boxes, you know, baptism, Lord's Supper, confirmation, you know, all that stuff, you know, and so, I mean, within their system, it makes sense, you know, that they would re- re- reduce, you know, grace to simply just... It's gas in the tank. Just, you know acts without meaning <laughs> you know right you could <laughs> and so what ends up happening is it's it, it it's it if if you if you you if you affirm those two latin expressions ex opera operato or ex opera operantis in relation to say the doctrine of justification my rightness before god or forgiveness yeah. of sins new life and salvation or as these things as we present are tangibly given to me mm. in the sacraments again and again um, we, if you affirm those two things, what you do end up doing is you, you effectively are, you are, you're, you're embodying what Jesus is getting at where he said, you know, he's speaking to these Pharisees who, and scribes who calls hypocrites that you're doing that, which the prophet Isaiah led by the Holy Spirit is speaking of in Isaiah 29, when he says, Again, these people worship me with their heart or with their words, but their with their lips, but their hearts yeah. are far from me. And 
what ends up happening is, is, is my confidence before God is anchored in my participation in a system. Mm. And, and this is not unique to the Catholic Church. I mean, yesterday right. we were talking about, um, I got at this a little bit in the sermon. Granted, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I suppose in some respects you could, you, we could, even as confessional Lutheran Christians, when it comes to the use of the sacraments, I might abuse this in terms of, I might point to my frequency of reception of the Lord's Supper as, see, I'm a good Christian. I don't, you know, I, I'm like, if it's a communion Sunday, I, I don't ever want to miss. Mm. And not to say that that's inherently a bad motivation. It's good to desire to receive Jesus' body and blood as often as you as you can. Right. But if I if if I'm anchoring my confidence before God on the frequency of me attending church, mm. or the frequency of me receiving Jesus' body and blood, or how how long I read my Bible, or how much of my Bible I have memorized, I'm 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 now falling prey to something that the confessors are getting at. Um, so this is where, what they're getting at is, is seeing God as the beating heart when it comes to the administration and use of the Mm. sacraments. And he is the giver. He is the doer. Mm. Not really me. It's not me. Um, and we see this in the, in the, in the end of that second section there. They condemn those who do not teach that faith, which believes that sins are forgiven is required by the use of the sacraments. Um, some people say, well, hang on a second, you know, doesn't the Bible say repent and believe or, uh, you know, um, or repent and be baptized? Isn't this something that, you know, when, when you know, be it uh, the apostle Peter uh, at Pentecost after that rousing sermon or um, John the Baptist, the waters of the Jordan, when, when you have all these people from from nearby who are coming to hear what he has to say and and he preaches law and gospel and they say, cut to the heart, they say, what, what, must, what must we do to be saved? Or what, what must we do? And the response is, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Mm. And some people walk away, okay, there it is. That both repentance and baptism are things that we do. Or, um, or believing. These are things that we do because the thing is, is, um, is, that, is that true? And the answer is no. Um, while certainly I am the one who believes, but the faith that's in my heart is not something that I produce or I generate in my heart. Right. It's not something that I do. Yeah. Nor is the repentance. Nor is the repentance, as we saw in the previous episode. Mm. Um, you know, the we, we looked at that Hebrew expression, Hashiveni va'ashuva, um, turn me and I'll be retur- and I'll be turned. Repent me and I will be repented. Um, God meets what his word demands. Mm. We see this when it comes to the commandments, where it says, be perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. I can't meet that. Mm. Um, certainly we strive towards that when we talk about sanctification, my, uh, which flows and proceeds from me being right and reconciled to God. Right. And then that does remind me of a question I did have. So since the sacraments are useful for creating and building up faith, is receiving the Lord's Supper a, a part of, or does it, is it a part of sanctification in the sense of that I am receiving faith, uh, uh, or since God, since I am receiving faith from God, that my faith is being increased? Yeah, you see that word confirm and strengthen. Yeah, uh, that they use. Um, we might so like they um, they were instituted the sacraments. That being baptism and the Lord's Supper, they were instituted to awaken and confirm faith in those who use them. These are words that we don't really use all that well, hmm. or, or that all that often. Yeah. Awaken and confirm. I, in like a pathway to membership class, will use expressions like create and strengthen. Hmm. Those are probably a little bit more understandable and a little bit more common, but they they nevertheless convey the exact same truth. Yeah. If you say awaken and confirm, um, in some respects, that gets right to the heart of it, in that we, outside the working of the Holy Spirit. We were dead in sin, asleep in sin, a spiritual, lifeless corpse. Uh, yet, um, as we confess in the third article of the Apostles' Creed, um, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. 
Well, how does he do that? Through the means of grace, through mm-hmm. word and sacrament. And um, so this this then trans, translates into or, or proceeds into confirming a faith. Right. And that's where the strengthening element uh, and, comes in. And with that, and, and like uh, you're, you're talk, talk, talking about like uh, motivation of wanting to receive the sacrament. And some people, it is, it is a checklist thing. But would a good mo- mo- motivation of receiving it as often as possible is, is because this is the means of grace. This is God giving me, you know, or it's his, his, his work of increasing faith in me, right? That, that's right. That's, this is... that's why I want to receive it as... Exactly. As often as possible. It's like um, an analogy that's not all that bad is think of a, a plant's need for after you've, you've you plant the seed and you water it and now it is growing, right? So mm-hmm. now that you have this plant that is that is taken root and is now growing, you don't all right set it. You don't set it and forget it. You say all right, it's done. We're good, and walk away. Um, it needs it needs nutrients from the soil, so you might need to repot it. Uh, if the soil's starting to go bad, you got to water it, and it needs sunlight. Um, these things are are good to receive again and again and again and again and again for its growth and nourishment. Um, so um, this this faith is being yeah is, is being awakened or confirmed, created or strengthened in the use of the sacraments. Mm. So the the. The reformers most certainly can say that faith is required for the reception of the sacrament. Mm. We got a little bit of time left. Uh, I think we could probably transition into Article Fourteen. Mm. I think we do could it. do it. Do you want to read it? Uh, yeah, I'll go for it. Our churches teach that no one should publicly teach in the church or administer the sacraments without a rightly ordered call. We're all good. Okay. I have to edit this out. We're in the clear. <laughs> if you're, um, for those of you listening, some people just showed up at our house. And uh, they're friends of ours. Don't worry. <laughs> um, we're just going to play it cool and continue to keep on recording. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that getting at then? Um, I know some people might read that and they said, well, hang on a second. Our churches teach that no one should publicly teach in the church or administer the sacraments without a rightly ordered call. Um is I was you know wasn't one of the big things that came out of the out of the the Lutheran Reformation or just the Protestant Reformation, um, the return of the the sacraments back into the hands of the laity, back into the hands of the people. Up to that point, um, only priests administered the sacrament, and and they would they would emphasize kind of an ex opera operantis that the legitimacy and validity of the administration of the sacraments or the reception of the sacraments was contingent upon the administer. Mm. That being, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be the priest or something. Right. And one thing that came out of the, the Protestant Reformation is that the, the sacraments were returned to the hands of the people. Mm. Um, so what are they, what are the Lutheran confessors getting at here? Um, you got any thoughts, Jacob, on this? Um, yeah, yeah, I was looking through the Apology, and what I found really interesting is... The Apology to the Augsburg Confession, just right. for those listening, yeah. Yeah, and so, I guess to give some context, is Melanchthon and the Reformers wrote the Augsburg Confession, and then Rome responded with the Confutation, right? Yep. The Confutation. And then the Apology is Melanchthon's defense of the Augsburg Confession, and very, so this is yeah, very and so this is a response to Rome's response, yep. <laughs> if if you will, and and so in this, um, interestingly enough, with uh, with the use of the sacraments, the only thing that they criticized Melanchthon for was that he didn't mention how many sacraments, you know, and they're like, dude, like the only thing that the only thing we did, did, did we disagree with here is the fact that you didn't mention the seven sacraments and so he kind of goes on a rant about how he's like well really there's only two he's like we could argue for four 
you know, but he's like, really, we think there's only two, you know. And that's and that's the thing is <laughs> what, what in the apology they're what they're kind of getting at is you have you have two you have two church mindsets or two church yeah. traditions that are approaching the word sacrament mm. with different definitions, right? And if you, um, so for example, you know, you you brought up the word ordinance earlier. Some yeah. people talk about baptism and the Lord's supper as an ordinance. And then when you ask them, well, how many ordinances there are, they might have a ton. Right. <laughs> they're they're proceeding they're proceeding from that question with a with an assumed definition of what what does this word ordinance mean or the, the given definition. Yeah. And then as a result, you're gonna have you might be talking past each other. You got to establish your definitions first. And mm. some of and certainly um, you see some of that happen during like you know Melanchthon doing that during the the apology of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah. They, he, he goes at length to, well, what is the definition of a sacrament? Mm. But you're right. Yeah, and yeah. so he would say, like, baptism, Lord's Supper, for sure. He, uh, confession, he's like, we're pretty sure um, we would disagree. <laughs> yeah. And then fourth, he was like, we're not really sure, but we think we could argue for ordination being a sacrament, too. Which that, I, I mean, we would also d- disagree like later it, you like, can kind of see his reasoning for it when, yeah but it, at the same time it's like eh, no but yeah and so then going into uh into the order in the church uh melanchthon is he, he it's kind of like a he's kind of dealing with two fronts where he has rome on one side who a lot of the bishops during that time weren't really doing their jobs. And so Melanchthon's making a point to Rome where he's like, you know, our goal isn't to t- burn down the church and start our own. Our intent isn't to, you know, basically become our own kind of church to ourselves. He's like, yeah. we're perfectly fine with with staying within the institution of the church. But the bishops, you know, they need to be doing their job. <laughs> and, he's, and, and he's like, one, they need to do their job. And two, they need to stop killing our pastors who are faithfully preaching the gospel. Yeah. He's like, those are two things that need to stop. And, and then uh, on the other front, he's dealing with groups like the Anabaptists, where you basically have these guys who are like, who received visions from god to start their own basically sect you know and stuff like that stuff that still happens today right and so basically <laughs> you have a guy who, who's who's like i got a vision from god and he called me to you know basically be a pat pastor but he has no rightly ordered call from from the church you know he's just he just decides you know this yeah. is what i'm gonna do right you know and so melanchthon criticizes rome for just failing to do what it is called to be by scripture and he's also criticizing like the anabaptists and such who are essentially just just trying to do their own thing they're just basically essentially they are trying to burn down the church and to recreate it in their own image that's probably and that's probably a great way you do sense that too throughout all of these articles that there is a there is a um there's an there's a expressed need by the confessors that they wanted to distinguish themselves from these renegade radical groups, yeah. which which the Catholic Church was incredibly quick to then lobby all the Lutherans in with. Yeah. Like, you're just one of them, but they don't want to give the impression then by their distancing from the Anabaptists that then they're effectively in wholesale agreement with. I mean, this is called the Reformation for a reason. Yeah, that they're they're not in wholesale agreement with what the Catholic Church is teaching. Yeah, and so um, some of this is certainly getting at like the doctrine of the call. Yeah, um, some of this is also getting at uh, a sake for, uh, for the sake of order, and um, but then also that kind of like what you were getting at too. Um, you know, imagine if everybody at, at a church showed up and they all. They all say, you know, we had a, I, you know, God told me last night <laughs> that, that this, this, and this, and God said to me, this, this, and this, and, and you got all these people with competing, yeah, you know, um, instructions by God or whatever. Um, what do you, what do you do? Um, and that's not, 
it's not entirely out of the question in terms of that what like this isn't some r ridiculous hypothetical or something you do see this I mean, I, I do see this happen in some churches today, too. Mm. Uh, maybe not necessarily in, like, a confessional Christian tradition, but um, right. a like, lot of enthusiasts... There's one or... group called the Brethren who, they have no pastors. It's basically, on a, on, on, a, on any Sunday, whoever is led, quote-unquote, to preach or to speak or to just say anything is called to just walk up to the front and say what they want to say you know they're yeah. and so and for whatever re reason they have the idea that they're they're being more faithful to the traditions of the first century church which i don't know about you but i don't really see a lot of that going on in acts <laughs> you see um in, in, no what, what you do see is you see a lot of um you see the apostles they're modeling really the methodology of Jesus. Mm. What would Jesus do on Sabbaths? Or, or what he would do is he would go into a new town, he'd go into a synagogue. And he would open up scripture mm. to them and expound upon, exposit from scripture, and ultimately point people to himself. <laughs> you know, Jesus reads the scroll of Isaiah and says, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. <laughs> you know? Um, and... Um, so, so there certainly is what what you're kind of getting at, and what they're getting at here too, is that that there is a need, there's an expressed need for for doctrinal biblical instruction, um, sound biblical instruction when it comes to those who are who are standing before uh, the people of God in the church, and not just you know getting on up there because they they feel the burning in their bosom or something, mm -hmm. or they just got this urge, they just want to say something. But there is a there is training and instruction that does take place. And then a right, a rightly ordered call is extended to these individuals. This is not to say, again, this is not to say that the legitimacy of the sacrament is contingent upon, um, you know, is it coming from the hands of a rightly ordered or a, a called pastor of my congregation? Mm. Um, no, that's not what the confessors are saying. For the sake of, you could say perhaps for the sake of... Um, confidence and assurance and and so as to not cause doubt but then there's also ongoing discipleship that's implied here too not just mm -hmm. the biblical instruction of the pastorate that they want to serve as the under shepherds of their congregation but also for the ongoing discipleship of those who are who are being discipled uh, that being the, the congregation um, that you have a pastor who is the one who's doing this is for the sake of the ongoing spiritual nourishment and care of these individuals um, not like this free for all. I um, I've mentioned this before. I got a chance to serve as a missionary in in Southeast Asia for two years, and when I was there at first, um, during my first year, um, we, the the primary strategy there is you would set up satellite Bible study groups, um, where men and women of the country could kind of come, and they would, we would do these Bible studies with them, these would be feeders into our underground Lutheran church there. Oh. And um, the thing is, though, is that while we had a lot of people who had come to faith by God's grace, and we had a lot of people who were baptized by us missionaries, what wasn't happening, we were seeing, is that not all of these individuals were effectively getting connected to this underground church. And you could probably see why this is an absolutely, this is a big deal. We needed to do this because... The missionaries leave. They're not there forever. They're not supposed to be there forever. Um, uh, or I, I, what I should say is they don't want to build the ministry around the assumption that they're going to be there forever. Yeah. They might be there the rest of their life, you know. But you don't mm -hmm. want to operate with the assumption that I'm going to effectively be, uh, I'm going to be always here for them. I'm, I'm always looking to, um, is there going to be someone who's more likely to maybe be here, like as a missionary, um, we want to work ourselves out of a job. Is there, there are locals, local brothers and sisters in Christ that they are, by virtue of um, their fluency in the language, the fact that they're going to be staying here and living here, they are far more equipped and positioned to disciple this individual than I am oh. because I might not be here forever. So um, 
going into my second year, one of the encouragements that was extended to us is that instead of us being the ones who are, you might have a member of your Bible study group ask, would you baptize me? Which is awesome. The encouragement that we were given is because we didn't want to see these people, you know, go to these Bible studies, get baptized, and then they just disappear when the foreign missionary leaves. Because mm. we want them to not just, we don't want to just, you know, say, oh, we had, we had this many baptisms, and then where are they? We want to say, these were baptized individuals, and they're still part of this church. They're attending Bible studies, and, and they're connected into a local native community of brothers and sisters in Christ, where there is an under-shepherd from the culture, from the community, um, who is who is going to be there to serve these members. So that was that that might perhaps be another dimension to this conversation that that uh, that they're getting at too, for the sake of ongoing discipleship, for the sake of confidence that um, when when people are going up to receive the Lord's Supper or or being baptized, um, it's uh, maybe to avoid scandal or to avoid um, causing a stumbling block for somebody. Um, but then, like I said, it, relationally speaking, there's a lot of pragmatism and wisdom here too. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is not an article that is undermining the universal priesthood of all believers hmm. as if somehow, um, or, or this is not to undermine um, what I said earlier that, um, that like or give the impression that somehow the legitimacy or validity of the sacraments is contingent upon, you know, the the priest or the pastor who is administering them. Yeah. Um, as we saw with the use of the sacraments, God is the one doing this. Mm. He is the doer. He right. is the one who it, it's a hundred percent arrow pointing down. God is the one who's giving. He's the one who's working and creating and strengthening or confirming and awakening, awakening faith in the mm. hearts of people. So, um, I guess that that's probably what I would say on article 14. You got any other thoughts on that? Uh, the only last thing I would like to share is a quote by Timothy Wengert, who says that, ah, Timothy Wengert. Yeah. <laughs> Go for he, it. He, he comes back from time to time. Yeah, he but, does. <laughs> but he says at every turn, the sacraments rest entirely in what God has done, is doing, and will do for us and for our salvation. I love that. The, pra- the past, present, and future. Um, it, um, there's, yeah, that's incredibly well said. Well, I, I think we thoroughly covered those. I think we did. <laughs> and we really don't want to do this episode no. for a sixth time. It feels so good. <laughs> you have it done. <laughs> We we enjoy we enjoy doing the podcast and we're we we love that you oh, guys yeah. are hanging out with us and tuning in. We really love when we don't have to record a podcast episode for a sixth time. For a sixth time, agree. You want to close this out, Jacob? All right. And so this has been another episode of the Mana Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it, and if you did, feel free to leave a review. And give us five stars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because certainly. The reviews would help us to share Jesus with more people. So it's not just because we're star hungry. You hungry? You star hungry? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, feel free to leave a review if you'd like. And uh, yeah, see you guys. <laughs>